welcome to Marsha's Plate. This is an interview episode where we talk to friends, family, other community members, and anybody else we want to talk to. <laughs> hey brother, hey brother, hey sister, hey sister, hey sibling, how are you? Hey brother, hey brother, hey sister, hey sister, hey sibling, how are you? How you been doing? Just checking in today on you. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is your girl, Diamond. I am, this is a treat for me because this person is somebody that I have admired and, 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 and have seen in the community since I was a teenager. And when I started any show, any kind of archive that I've done, this person has always been at the top of the list of who I wanted to talk to and who I wanted to share their experience with my audience from the time when I was a YouTuber from the time that now on the podcast. I have always loved her. She has always been one of my favorite entertainers. And so I, I knew eventually it would happen. I just had to be patient. <laughs> and... Um, it is the amazing, incomparable, legendary Tommy Ross. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much, Diamond. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. So Tommy Ross is she's very selective about, you know, what pageants, what, you know, what she enters in. So a lot of people a lot of times say, you know, she's won all the titles, but actually she hasn't because she hasn't been in every she hasn't wanted to be in every <laughs> system. But some of the systems that she has um, that she has won is Miss Continental um, back in 1999. She has won. I'm, was that kind of new right. 88? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And you're right. I'm sorry. 1999. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, right. I'm like, no, I did, did I do my research wrong? I'm like, oh, so Continental in 1999, Miss US of A in 1988, and um, Miss Black America. What year was Black America? Black America was 19, uh, 2000 and 2006. Or 2000, mm. 2004, 2004, and then Sweetheart was 2006. 2006, Miss Globe, Miss Texas. 1987. Miss Houston. Yes. Yes. So uh, she, she has so many titles under her belt. And when you think about the upper echelon of who are the who who are the just the the people if you want to be in drag who are the people that you're standing on their shoulders you cannot mention or not think about Tommy Ross and so for and, and this is for people who are not even you drag connoisseurs like you know some of us is like we in there but some of us if you, any 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 type of situation that if you think about who is who is the top girls you think about Tommy Ross that's that's that you get what I'm saying you amongst other people but I'm like especially for a black girl <laughs> well thank so, you so much thank you when did you get started in um in drag and how did the the whole process of you becoming this type of entertainer before going to the 12th grade three of my friends we discovered this club uh which was called 
the Cove Disco, and it's, it was right there behind the Alabama Theater. So we would go every weekend and sit in the parking lot and just watch all the care, you know, all the stuff going on. So one day we ventured in and it was on a Sunday night and it was a show. So it was my first time ever seeing a drag show. And I saw the likes of uh, people who are now gone on, but like Donna Day, that was my first time ever seeing Donna Day. And from that very moment, even though I was frightened, it lit a spark in me. And I said, oh, well, this is what I'd be doing at the house, in the bathroom, with the brush. With the brush. (laughs) Yeah, right, with the brush and the towel on my head for my hair. These people are doing this on stage and they're getting paid. So all during my 12th grade year in high school, I just thought about, oh, this is, this is a thing. So we started going to the Studio 13, I mean, going to the Cold Disco. And from there, the Copa, which was on Donna Day, Hot Chocolate, Naomi Sims, and Tasha Cole, they performed. And they were called the Fabulous Four. We'll go there on Sunday nights. And I started entering the talent nights there. They had this talent night every, I think it was Thursday, and you would win the, the talent night. Then all four or, four or five weeks would get together and win the month. I won my talent night, then I won my month, and then they had a big thing at the end of the year called Entertainer of the Year, and I won that. So basically, my career started by me just doing show, I mean, doing talent nights, and then Donna Day put me in Miss Texas after probably my third time on stage, which was here in Dallas, Texas, but I was, no. <laughs> she definitely saw something <laughs> in me that nobody else saw. <laughs> Speak, so speaking of Donna Day, I know she is somebody, you know, that inspired your, um, your drag career, but who, when you were growing up prior to this, who was loving on you? Who was taking care of you? Who was, you know, tell me about your family union. Tell me about growing up as a kid. Well, I was the only child between my father and mother. So I was, didn't realize until after I got grown and realized what the definition of things were. I, I, I did have a privileged life. Like I, I had a loving example of what a union should be. I, um, I I grew up with respect of everybody. So when I ventured into this arena of our LGBTQ, it, it made me aware of people's boundaries and people's respect because that's what I was taught at home. Um, didn't know anything about transgender. So... Unfortunately, but fortunately, I did not know the whole thing about transgender. So for my adult life, I mislabeled myself as gay for such a long, long time. But I always had, I always had questions on why me and my gay, I've never really connected all the way with my gay friends. It wasn't until I got at a certain age where I realized, oh, I'm not like my gay friends. I'm transgender. So it made perfect sense to me. But I always tell people, and I was just telling my niece on yesterday, 
if I had a knew what transgender was at a, at an earlier age, I would have did the whole process, but I would have missed Tommy Ross. So this this journey that 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 Tommy Ross has had, I wouldn't have got that if I would have knew what transgender was earlier. If that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. Oh my God, I want to thank all of our new patrons this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yay, 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 yay. So, not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast, you know, I also donate to other podcasts, I donate to other organizations. I have my finger on the post of the community and I know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here so you're not only helping to sustain us you're helping to sustain other people in a community because I put my money where my mouth is you know that's just the kind of bitch I am community is fuck (laughs) so thank you I really really appreciate you and if you have not become a patron why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sir McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> All righty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show. How how has it been seeing that shift in culture where, you know, it, we, we didn't have the language in the past? I know in, you know, I, I, I transitioned in the 90s and even then there was, you get what I'm saying, you saw the girls and you, it was, we had, there wasn't a lot of resources. There wasn't a lot of things to kind of explain, particularly a hood black girl who, who didn't have access to like doctors, who didn't have access, you know, we didn't have insurance and stuff like that. My mom you know, was a hood girl. She didn't have all that, all that kind of stuff. So I didn't, I, there was no access to these medical terms like transsexual and transgender and stuff like that for, for my mom to pass to me or for anybody really to pass to me. How I learned about transness was actually sneaking into the gay club as a gay boy. And then, and then in, in having that exact, that, that exact feeling, I was a teenager though, but I was like, yo, I, you know, yes, I know that I'm thinking that I'm a gay boy, but I'm looking at looking around and I don't relate to the gay boys in the same way that everybody else seems to do. Exactly. I I relate to the girls and I relate to the identity and and that resonated more with me than, you know, than than just being a gay man in the world. And as soon as I saw that, like as soon as I saw it, I didn't even go back to the gay club as a boy. I always was you know, diamond for the rest of the time. I never went back and never, because that resonated with me so heavily. So I totally understand that. Tell me about that, how that culture shift happened for you, where you started to learn about being trans and and seeing the shift in how people talked about it within within the gay community. Well, in in, in 1978, when I did go to the club for the first night uh, on that Sunday, I also saw this entertainer named Champagne who was a transsexual. But of of course, back then I didn't know what she was, but all I knew was she was heavenly beautiful. You know, everything about her screamed woman. It wasn't until years later that I knew, oh, that's what she was. So all during my high school year of, and like I said, I I identified as gay. 
as I, you know, I identified as gay. It wasn't until in in the eighties where I start really understanding and knowing things about trans people. However, because I had been in that gay mode for so long, it was frightening. It, it, it was frightening to eventually say, this is who I am and this is how I want to live my life. Because also my friends did not understand that about me. So a lot of my friends, even though they never verbally said it, I could I could see the shift in the relationship and the way that they looked at me and treated me. So eventually some of my friends that 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 had been in my little circle forever, eventually we kind of winged off from one another because I had to do what I had to do, you know. No and, and there is a, a a separation that happens once you decide that yo my my gender identity is this and 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 it started to be this um I don't know this this social this social difference even you know a lot of people who are ignorant conflate gender identity and sexual orientation but there is a social thing that happens when you are like somebody else like when you know when you have your gay friends and y'all are young and you know kind of early exploring the world and um y'all both seem in the in the moment y'all seem like okay we are both gay boys and da 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 and then when one of y'all kind of shift to this other to this other level and um the other one doesn't understand it can cause this kind of clash it can cause and maybe not necessarily a clash but causes to feel like oh you're not a part of my tribe anymore or it can also if you aren't really aware of who you are it can um implement self-doubt it can make you start to question who you are and are you are you really what you say you are, or is this a phase because nobody else sees it? Nobody else in your circle is relating to what you're saying because you are saying you feel a certain way, but they're saying you just like boys or you're just a sissy or whatever. I always knew that that was not the case because whenever my friends, my gay friends would come back and tell about their escapades with the boys, and this, I never indulged in that. I never saw any kiki in that because I because I, I looked at that as that's what men do. <laughs> men talk about their 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 uh, conquers and things of that nature. Women, you know, kind of everything is private. So, and it's a level of um, I know me growing up. I because I grew up in a church, um, going to church. And you, I hadn't, I didn't have the lived experiences to informed womanhood in the same way that, you know, maybe a cisgender girl did. So I thought the way a woman was supposed to be was based on those rules that I learned in church. You're supposed to be um, respectable. You're supposed to be classy. You're supposed to be graceful. You're supposed to be elegant. And you, and one of those, one of the, 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 the pillars of womanhood in the church is that if you don't have a man, you chase you, you get what I'm saying? You, you get what I'm saying? It's a certain level of, um, um, of mystery that you need to have. And right. so I totally understand that that is the type of woman. Now, of course, when you get older, you learn as a trans woman, that that particular entity is not for us. Cause you know, exactly. 
<laughs> as a trans woman, you can't be respectable because you can technically, but to the world, just because you are trans, you are a sex object, you're a prostitute, you are you are exactly. not the respectable thing. And so growing up, I realized that, oh, I don't have even access to what this dream that I was thinking that I was going to be. I thought I was going to get a boyfriend, fall in love, lose my virginity, all this amazing thing that the cisgender girls do. But that's not for you, baby girl. That's not the world, we, the reality of the world. Right, exactly. So did you find any like love interests when you were going in that early stage? Did you find people who were, you know, seeing you for the woman that you were? Yes, yes. And I always gravitated and, and, and they gravitated to me. Guys who they would think it would be their their first encounter with a gay boy, but in actuality, it was me. So because I was trans, but I had the, 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 the book cover didn't match the content. That's why we were able to connect in that type of way. I've never, I've never uh, been attracted to gay boys. It's always been the guys who identified or thought of themselves as heterosexual. So it made perfect sense to me. And and even in that regard, you you I know growing up as when you come into your womanhood, a lot of time because everybody is trying to claim that this isn't right, this is a phase, blah 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 blah. You even your queer friends is like mm, you just like boys and da da da. Like you just said earlier, there is this sense of um, I know in my in my engagement with men, there was this sense of urgent rebuttal like urgent like like i'm a woman you a man and this is what we're supposed to do we're supposed to i'm supposed to do the girl stuff you supposed to do the boy stuff because doing anything outside of that would be counterproductive to what i was trying to prove to everybody everything was about to me about proving my womanhood to them so i had the perfect explanation you know i want you to even though i know what i got down there and da 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 this is how we're supposed to act. How we're supposed to present into the world is exactly like cis heteronormative people, cis het people who are, you know, the woman does this, the man does this, even walking on the side of the street when we were walking down the street, where you're supposed to walk and how you're supposed to treat me, opening the doors and this kind of romanticized engagement, social engagement. And so I, I, I would want the dudes who would see my womanhood and treat me like a girl, treat me exactly how I, how I wanted to be treated. But then I started to learn that that started to be um, just performing, just a performative right. kind of kind of a situation. How did you navigate that kind of space? Well, like I said, because of the guys that were attracted to me and the, and, and the ones that I was attracted to, they only dealt with girls. So they treated me like a girl. Even before my transition, you know, they opened the door for me. They uh, they treated me like a girl, and because of that, I I never had that uh, that tug of war thing with them. It wasn't until I really started transitioning, and then a lot of the trans chasers came along. And then that was a whole nother mental thing that I had to deal with because then I understood 
Now, since my book cover is matching what my content is, my group, my book cover is attracting people with fetishes. So it's not me that they're wanting to get to know. It's they they want to explore and see what I have. And that was a little, uh, well, not a little. That was a turn off, and still is. <laughs> It's, it's yeah it's it, it's like it's like i would ask them so would you walk up to a woman and ask a woman what you just asked me you know because they would say you know are you functional you know just how, just, how just big rude. is it how big yeah. is it how are you functional does it work are you on them hormones that's making it not work are oh. you um, can you fuck me <laughs> Yes, yes. And I, you know, but I had to realize and learn that a lot of times men who are really gay, but still are maneuvering in the heterosexual world, this is a way for them to satisfy their urges and still feel okay about it because she looks like a woman. But I call but, it using using us as a gateway to their homosexuality. Exactly. Exactly. And that's not everybody. I feel I no. don't believe that I've I, I meet genuine men who because of how they met me, they didn't meet me from no ad. They didn't meet me from no gay bar. They met me out in the world at the at the grocery store, at the mall, at the you know, wherever I'm at. And they they literally see and acknowledge the woman that I am. They don't they don't know what I am in regards to my history, but they 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 are seeing who I am presenting to the world. And that is what they're responding to. It's not about a fetish or anything like that. They're responding to the actual woman that they see. And they grow to love you as who you are. And because they are loving you, they want to love you. And they and, and they begin to accept everything and realize that certain parts are what gives a person pleasure. And they learn to ex respect all of that. So, yes, I totally get it. You come from a time where drag wasn't so cookie cutter. There was no YouTube videos to teach you how to paint. There was um, there wasn't even like the video of the artist to kind of mimic their look and mimic their dances and mimic their whole persona. You come up time where you come from a time where, you know, you when y'all performed, you had to it was a direct result of your own personal creativity. Exactly. Uh, and I think that um, that that's a, what we're missing um, there. Now, we have a glimpse of people who are really kind of. Um, you know, creative and doing their own thing. But, you know, now because drag has become this big cultural um, cultural thing with, you know, like RuPaul's Drag Race and da-da-da-da, um, can you tell me about um, your experience in your career, how you've seen this shift in, in technology, this, this shift, how, how, what is the negative side of what, what, what is happening and what is the positive side of what is happening with, with drag as an artist? Well, I will say, like, you just mentioned I did I did start my career in a time when we didn't even have music videos. So therefore it means that drag, you had to listen to a song. Well, not everybody did, but you had to listen to a song and basically recreate that state that, that song on stage. And for me, I wanted to always tell a story. 
So therefore, I pretended as if my audience could not hear, and I had to basically symbolize and mimic what the words were saying so that they could visually understand what I was doing. And I do believe that back then it it was harder to create a number based on just music. But I also think nowadays for, for some of these kids who can take a video and mimic the exact same thing, that's hard. That's hard. It's not easy, but that's really hard to like do a whole Beyonce thing. I could never do that. So I applaud them. But I do believe that that, that, that whole storytelling, um, letting it be organic thing is kind of missing nowadays. I really do. Mm, totally. And totally, I miss totally. it. <laughs> what about the term drag and female impersonator? If I, I'm, I'm female impersonator is kind of becoming when I'm when I'm listening to people talk about it, it's coming kind of antiquated. It feels uncomfortable to some people. I yeah. hear some people still yeah. using it. But what about what do you think about it? What is the legendary Tommy Ross opinion on those those terms in that? Difference? I've been I. I I've been on the side of when I first started, I was a drag queen. I went through my phase of being, thinking I was that. I was a female, I was no longer a drag queen. I was a female impersonator because that's what I did. I impersonated females. Then I came to realize that's what I do though. I do drag. I do drag. So now I, I'm able to embrace that. I am a pre-op transsexual who happens to have a career in drag. And I'm okay with that. So it doesn't it, it doesn't matter if someone says female impersonator or drag. You know, it's it is what it is. And I, I I liken that to black people when we think about the language that labels us. There's Negro, yes, Negro, black, black, Afro American, Black American. You know, just yeah. <laughs> all of that we you know i remember i was watching this documentary of the legendary um civil rights icon polly murray and when she was a professor at brandis college that she used to call because she come from early 1800 not 1800 early 1900 time in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s right. negro was not something negative to them and so right. when they start calling themselves black she was against it. She was like, I'm not calling myself black. I'm she, in, in, in the students in her, in the younger students when she was a professor was like, why does this woman keep calling us Negroes? We don't do that no more. We black. And, you know, it was black was the up and coming word. And there was like a generational clash when it was, you know, when it comes to that language, because when she was growing up, Negro was the word. Even to piggyback off of that, when we start, when as a, as a, as a country, we start getting into the African-American, for a long time, I had the hardest problem in embracing the word African because of what I was taught in school. All I saw Africans were these barefoot, you know, horrible like things because of what my, my teachings were. But now, oh, child, African-American is truly what I am. And I, I can't wait. That's, that's my ultimate visit is to go back to the motherland Soon as I step off the plane, take my shoes off and stick my feet in the dirt. I cannot wait. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So, yeah, I, I I do know how we have shifted in our culture and the way that we claim. Like the word, N-word. 
I use it. I use it because they made it what it was, which was meant death, horrible, this, that, and the other. We took it. We finagled it to the point to where we could embrace it. So I'm not, I'm not giving it up. And I use it both ways, in a good term and a bad term. But it's mine, and it's my choice. Facts. Uh, you know, I... Uh, nigga, you better get the fuck up out of my face. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> I will wear it out. It's just, it's just a part of who I, especially growing up, um, in a in the Southern culture. I grew up in the Midwest, but my all my family were from Mississippi. They were from the South, Alabama, um, Georgia. They were from these places that that was that's just a part of our culture. And it's not saying that you know things shouldn't shift, but that's just something I'm like, you know, this right. just, it is what it is. Yep, I agree. <laughs> Drag has been an art form for centuries and and trans women have molded the drag culture alongside of gay men. It has always been a staple form of entertainment. It has always been in in our particular community. um, It has been a staple form of inspiration to the mainstream pop culture to steal ideas from. it has been a it, it, in little do people know it has actually been a staple form of fundraising when we talk about raising money to like renovate a city's only gay bar when we think about raising money to um for funeral costs for somebody who doesn't have insurance who died particularly around like the AIDS epidemic um it was always a subculture thing that um it, it and if you think about it, it was a subculture thing that um, even cis women will pull out of their conversation to show how woke they were in accepting, you know, queer people. They would be like, oh, yeah, I, I'm 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 down. I done been to the drag bar. I used to, you know, do you go to the shows, whatever your 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 show club is in your city? The, right. the, the, the sister and the girls will say, oh, I used to go to such and such Joni's closet or uh, or whatever, whatever the rose, right. whatever. Right. Whatever your particular club, that's what cis women will say to show that I am in alignment with accepting you. And no matter how how true or untrue that is, they they would pull that out of their hat. So drag has always been something that has been a part of our culture. And um, if particularly, um, you know, I, I remember early times in like early 1800s and you know, just just us accounting balls and drag balls and stuff like that. And now it has fast forward to now 2022 it with, the, you know, with the popularity of drag race, drag has become this pop culture phenomenon. And I thought it was quite interesting. When there was this debate about RuPaul not allowing trans women to be on the show and because for me, growing up, you can't, there was no drag without trans women. They were there. Yes, was it gay men in doing it as well that would, you know, be a boy in the, in the daytime and then drag? Yes, it was totally that. But what people didn't understand in our culture was there was different sectors. There was, you know, there was Continental being the more, um, what we would call the fish pageant. Exactly. Uh, it, <laughs> it was it was the more fish passing. You had to be 
fish. You had to be soft. You had to be passable to win Continental, usually. And so um, then you had the America girl who was he who was the more, um, you know, the boy queen going to a girl queen. Um, right, then you had US right. of A, which was, you know, it could be anything, but it was more like fabulous. And uh, in regards to that, we had different sectors and RuPaul come from that America, gay America sector. He come, he come from that. And so that type of drag that can't be. You know, it, you you could be a boy and, you know, that kind of stuff. So tell me, tell me your opinion when that was going on. What was your opinion about that? My opinion was always, whose show is it? Whose show is it? That would be like, that would be like someone starting a show uh, starting something that was just about square boxes. And it had been going on for a long time. And all of a sudden people with circles wanted to integrate into the box just because. But that's, but that's not the premise of what the show is. The show is about square boxes. So why would you integrate round circles into square boxes? So if he... If, if, if he started a show about drag, boys dressing up as girls, and that's what it was, why all of a sudden later would you start saying he was being anti because he wasn't letting trans women go on the show? Because then how, how would trans women, you know how they, they, they do the untucked portion? So would a trans woman feel comfortable? In the untucked segment, even even and the world alone is offensive. So we were trying to integrate ourselves into places that weren't really for us. And you know, it's we don't have to be everywhere. That was a certain thing that was said for that particular thing. But now, these years later, he's he he has kind of kind of uh, softened that. But you just can't make somebody else rearrange their dream because you feel a certain way. Especially so when it's for water or food. It's not a necessity. You know what I'm saying? So, so uh, the only, the, the, I get what you're saying. It is his show. He can do whatever the fuck he want to do. Yeah. For me, it felt, it, 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 I don't know. It, it Because I I'm a drag connoisseur. I care about drag and you, and it had got so popular and it had become this big thing. It did feel like, how can you talk about the history of drag? How can you celebrate this art form and totally exclude trans drag queens? I don't know. It felt uncomfortable. Yes. I get that. This is his show, but it's like, how are you respecting this art form and, and not including the girls? The exact same way. Miss America. The, the gay Miss America pageant, which is the mothership of pageants, that's the that that's how it all started. Doesn't allow that, but he allows you to have a seal from the neck up, seal from the neck up, but no seal from the neck down. But that's how Norma Christie saw that vision. So I didn't, I, I I did not have an issue with RuPaul, and you know I do believe it was because. RuPaul wanted to be, and this is just, it, it probably was vain, 
wanted to be the diva and didn't want to share that spotlight because he knew when some trans girls came on there, they were gonna they were gonna steal some of that spotlight. So I didn't have an issue with it, and, and you know, and and I still don't. And you know, it is what it, it is. What it is. It's it was apples and oranges to me. One of the things that um that, that people would say, it, do you think it's because you come from a different generation that 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 that, that, of that is okay? <laughs> oh, of course. I, I I come from like I said, I come from a generation where if something is set in stone. Disrespected that way. This new generation, which I also love, though, is that no, I don't think so. Because if it hadn't have been for this new generation, if it had been the old generation, when we saw George Floyd murdered on Memorial Day, the old generation would have sat back and complained at home because it was in the midst of COVID. But the young generation said, no, no, ma'am. And they marched and they rallied, they united. So they, so I, so I do believe that this youth, that this new generation of wanting to book systems and things is a good thing. But I also believe we have to pick and choose what we feel is really important. And like I said, drag race is not water, air, or food. It's not a necessity. You can survive without it. That is coming from somebody who, who has built a career in this industry without the help of a national syndication of TV. Now, when girls coming into the coming into the game, they are like, "Ooh, I gotta get on RuPaul Drag Race so I can get this, you know, so I can ooh, then I can really turn it into something." Blah blah blah. You have. This is what you did. This is your profession. This is what yeah. you do for a living that you have built a whole um, fan base all over this globe. And so, you know, I think nowadays um, people are like, oh, this is the way you get into it. This is how I can do. And I think that that's another thing that's a little different, too. I agree. I agree. And uh, I-, I believe that that social media has created microwaved celebrities and when someone and, and when someone is a microwave celebrity just like when you put food in the microwave it's hot on the outside but it cools down really fast on the inside so for all those ones who are famous because and and people are realizing too the more controversial you are the more people gravitate to that so some people who are really nice off of the camera create this persona so that people will gravitate to that. And I'm definitely not one who's willing to shift who I am in order to fit in or receive likes. Amen. So what's next for you? As somebody who has achieved so much in your career, what are you trying to do now? What is, the, what is your dreams? This is a selfish plug, <laughs> but on July 13th in Houston, Texas, at the ball at the ball, ballroom on at Bayou Place, we're having a Studio 13 reunion. And Studio 13, the gay club that was from 1985 
through 1992, but it went on, but the building stayed there until 1995. So within 10 years, and that's where so many LGBTQ plus people came through, people like Amazing Grace, uh, Chevelle Brooks, Portia Paris. So it just has this history of greatness. So Sophia McIntosh and myself, decided we want to have a reunion. So that's when I'm in the midst, me, her, her and I are in the midst of creating this big thing. So this been, that's, that's, that's what's on my plate now. And I've been kidding with, and Sophia telling her on the 14th, I'm going to need the ambulance sitting outside so that when this function is over, I'm just marching myself outside, calling the ambulance to tell them, take me and put some IVs in me because I need my strength back because it's like, if I've, I've told people this is like my, my biggest passion I've ever gotten ready for. And anybody who knows how my preparation is prepared just know I tunnel vision and I focus. So it's that's what's that's what's big on my plate right now. I want people so to July, enjoy this experience. July 13th. July 13th and the bayou um the, the ballroom the at ballroom Bayou Play. The bayou. That's downtown in the theater district. Yes. Yes. So make sure y'all check it out. <laughs> you please, know, please you know, come if, and check it out. If, if Tommy is organizing it, you know it's going to be entertaining. <laughs> you know it's going to be top level, top level entertainment. So I definitely will be there. Awesome. <laughs> Tell the people where they can find you. Because I'm old school, because, you know, I'm old school. I have problems even to, even zooming into this Zoom because I'm old school. <laughs> but uh, I'm on Facebook, which is Tommy Ross. And uh, I do have, what is it called? Uh, Instagram. Instagram. But I have it, but I haven't been there for, in forever. So this is where I'm at. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on Facebook and I... I respond to every message. I uh, what I'm doing is on there. So just hit me up. Talk to me. Well, Tommy, you have made one of my dreams come true. I, I like I said, my first time seeing you. Well, when it comes to drag, you are an icon that that has been that has. I remember when I I I, 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 sued, I sued my high school in 1999 to go to the prom in a gown. That summer, I went to the baton. That, that was in June, the end of that summer, you know, the baton, they, the Continental has, um, you know, every Labor Day. I went to the, I went to the baton and you won your title. Oh, wow. Year. Right. And so this is, I, I was 18 and it, it, you know, it's one of, one of those years that I just fell in love with drag and you were a part of that. You were a part of my memory and I appreciate you. This was a dream come true. Thank you for joining me. Well, thank you so much. I'm humbled beyond words. Like I, like I told you off camera, I'm, uh, even though I've been doing this for eons, 40 plus years, I, I'm still nervous and shy about, about this because my uh, persona, my fame or whatever is only because of the perception of other people. And I understand that and I realize that. So I'm always humbled when somebody sees what I've done or am doing and they are appreciative of it. It, it, it just humbles me. So thank you so much for this opportunity. 
Thank you. So I will have all of her links down in the bottom and make sure you go support her. Let her know where um, that you heard heard the interview and I will see y'all next week. Thank you for joining us. This has been Marsha's Play. Have a wonderful day. And don't forget to vote, people. Oh, go take y'all ass to vote. They are attacking trans children and their parents and all this kind of stuff. Make sure you vote. Absolutely. Exactly. (laughs) All right, Tommy. (laughs) Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Loved it. Well, that's it. Thank you for coming and getting a taste of Marsha's Plate. You can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Make sure you leave a review because we really need those five stars, y'all. And go like our Facebook page and leave some comments. We will be posting exclusive content every Thursday, so you definitely don't want to miss out. You can also follow us on Twitter and any other social media site at Marsha's Plate. If you'd like to donate or advertise with us, hit us up at diamondstyles at gmail.com. That's diamond, S-T-Y-L-Z, at gmail.com. And that's it for us, y'all. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You going to say bye, Mia? Oh, bye, (laughs) 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 y'all. Every little thing's going to be all right.